Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com/acast code acast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. You are listening to Mist Apex podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is You're Gonna Need a Larger Caliber Wheel Gun If You're Taking Down a Bull. That's suggested by Philip Greenberg on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. It's something, something o'clock in the morning here in the UK, and we are bringing you your Austin Grand Prix race review. Hopefully none of the panelists fall asleep before we get to the end, but didn't I tell you... The Circuit of Americas is a great race and was going to adapt well to the new regulations. It took the Circuit of the Americas, the best complexes from around the world, and have built them into a modern classic, one of the best Grand Prix circuits for the modern F1 car. And I think today delivered everything from racing action, corners where you could attack and defend in different lines, and a little bit of excitement and drama as well. So coming up. We're going to discuss the false hope dangling cruelly in front of Lewis Hamilton fans. We'll discuss whose fault all the incidences were and all the action from the Austin Grand Prix. But let me just tell you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute, even when it's super late. We might be wrong, but we're first. <laughs> I'm joined in the shed by Horn Botherer Matt Two Rumpets. Hey Matt. Hey there. I came to watch a Formula One race and a MotoGP broke out. <laughs> in in terms of action and chaos. Two wheels. Yeah, man. Oh yeah, Fernando Alonso. We'll definitely get to that. We're also joined by race car driver and recent podcast rival Bradley Philpot. Hey Brad. Angry at myself for allowing the optimism to creep in. There was, it's the hope. It's the hope that gets you, isn't it? That must yeah. have been very hard for people who are a fan of one driver or another. But thankfully, I'm incredibly neutral. We're also joined by MC and presenter Ellen Ellard. 
regretting that this is in vision as well as a podcast so i can't be here in my pajamas at this time of the morning don't pretend that you're not young and interesting and would not normally be in a nightclub or discotheque I did have the offer, actually. Two of my friends have gone out in Manchester tonight <laughs> and I came back here. I was, I said, I have to leave at seven to get back, legged it back, got in in time. And, and here I am drinking, uh, I won't name the brand of energy drink that I'm currently downing. Um, it's not my favorite, but we'll get it down. That's tragic. Ellen Ellard could be in a nightclub, but instead is hanging out with some middle-aged men in a shed. And we thank you, the listener, for doing the same. Well, here on Miss Apex Podcast, we do wonder often what we should talk about first, because there was loads of incidences and great racing as well. We, of course, had the collision between George Russell and Carlos Sainz, so we get to play whose fault is it for that. Uh, we had Max Verstappen getting past the front ru- runners, a great battle with Leclerc, and also going wheel-to-wheel with Lewis Hamilton. I know Brad has some opinions on Lewis Hamilton's defence there as well. And that absolutely sublime move uh, past Sergio Perez from Leclerc. But I think, as is tradition, we start these reviews by asking where the race was won and lost. Okay, Matt, you have 60 minutes. Uh, where was the race won and lost go? Well, I think, although I've got many options, I will play to my strengths and say... For want of a medium tire, the kingdom was lost. Oh, that was one of my first questions when, you know, they went to the hard and uh, there was an interview with Toto Wolf and he said, oh, well, we didn't have a medium. I'm like, why? Why? Why didn't they have a medium? A, a qualifying? Did they use them up in quali? Um, well, yeah, and in practice. But that was the set. Those were the sets they chose to race with. They wanted the two hards and the single medium. And that that matched. Uh, fairly well with what Pirelli was predicting would be the fastest way round. So, so I, you can't really blame them, but who can predict the safety car? Yeah. And there's a lot of laps taken out by the safety car. I think was it eight in the end? The, the second one was quite a long safety car period with all the debris. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, I think even with the medium tire, I don't think Lewis was winning this race. In fact, I'd say if I learned anything today, it's that Mercedes built a car that is that is simply not capable of winning against a Ferrari or a Red Bull this season. Well, I'd say it was capable of winning against a Ferrari because he did seem to have the legs on Leclerc. I don't know what, he, what it would have been like against Sainz. Um, but the one thing that I'd say is that the medium tyre probably wouldn't have helped because he ran out of tyres, certainly at the rear, even on the hards at the end. So going one step softer it probably would have just been an earlier problem uh, well yeah and the, we were talking about the the, yeah, the optimism killing you but i think we got a little bit of hope in the mercedes ferrari battle because leclerc started obviously further back and i think that got lost in the melee of the safety cars because leclerc was there you forget well he he had to also come through the pack but he disappeared as well matt yeah, he, he did. He ran a really good first stint actually on the medium tire. He went long and he was one of the few people who benefited from that first Botas safety car in which he uh, parked it in the gravel and then pretended something went wrong with the car. 
<laughs> yeah, you've got to do that. That is your initial drills. Even Latifi, when he took a completely wrong turn uh, over there uh, uh, in the Suzuka circuit in the final sector, went, oh, there's something really weird with the car. I mean, uh, you'd have to point to a sat-nav, uh, but that doesn't exist. But it was, it was. look, we genuinely had three teams in the mix. Obviously, we know how powerful the Verstappen Red Bull complex is, but for a long time there, and I think for the first time in a while... We were all glued to the timing screens going, who can get that gap? Who's good in that sector? Like, there's been, it's been a long time since I noticed who was good in every sector. And it's like, well, Lewis Hamilton is great in sector one. And then you, but you see, they're just such a rocket ship, Ellen, in a straight line that you go, as soon as Verstappen gets within that DRS zone, it's a foregone conclusion. Absolutely. And I, I loved the, the brief bit because it was at times, you know, quite brief, that battle that we had. It was so good to see, though, and it's probably been the most engaged I've been this this season with yeah. sort of a segment of a race. And like you said, everyone was in the group chat going, oh, is he going to make it? Oh, no, this is where the sectors yeah. are, are quicker. This is where he's looking better. And, you know, it was it, when Verstappen was in the battle with the Ferrari, you thought, oh, yeah, OK, that's going to pin him back even more. But obviously that didn't last because the Red Bull is, is head and shoulders above the rest. Mm. And it, it's hard that, you know, we have to have a tech failure for us to see that kind of racing. You know, hopefully next season things will start to level out a bit more in the in that we'll see more of that and it won't be, hu- well, human or technical failures in pit, pit stops yeah. that, that, that cause that. But it was it was great to see, and yeah, you know, the hope was there, and and I remember putting in the group chat, I was like, "This is going to be painful, isn't it, boys? Like, this is gonna <laughs> when this comes through, this is gonna hurt as a you know as a Hamilton fan." But you know, we've seen the glimmers there, and you know, to hear Hammer Time be uh, shouted over the radio, it's not often this season we've heard For that. A it was win. you know in a different time, yeah. Uh, in, yeah. Well, it was you know different different part of the race, but it was nice, and it would be. You know, it'd be nice to see Lewis sort of get that hunger and go all the way again. But I think we saw a glimmer of that today. If, if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, but I noticed a, a, a strange phenomenon in our Patreon Slack group, patreon.com forward slash Apex, where the Dutch fans and the Max Verstappen fans were the most optimistic about Lewis Hamilton holding on. I looked at that gap <laughs> coming down and I thought, no, I think Verstappen's got this. And if they get close on track... Verstappen can get there on the uh, on the DRS and the overspeed. I think in the end, when Verstappen overtook Lewis Hamilton, he came back from nearly a second back and was level by the end of that corner. So I wasn't optimistic. But I think even the Red Bull fans and the Dutch fans in our Slack chat were, were kind of hoping for, for more of a challenge. Yeah, and I, th- I think everyone, that's what everyone wants to see, isn't it? You yeah. know, we've had it either way. We've had it with Max being well off ahead. We've had it in the past for many a season when it was Lewis well for head and actually whoever you support you want to see what's best for the the sport and that is sometimes you know these close these tight battles I think talking about you know who was going to come out top of of that that battle today fun. sometimes yeah. you know it is the fans you know even when you know if your football club if you the player you support or the driver you support is doing well you still you you know you don't it's, it's the hope that kills you isn't it so you you know you do want to go oh you know he might not do it and be prepared <laughs> for that so I think that's a, a traditional thing with sport sport fans to sort of have that but yeah we want to see more of that that kind of racing absolutely 
Well, what I love about this is if I'm a Max fan and a Red Bull fan, of course I want Lewis to look like he can win a race yeah. because it makes Max look better. Amazing. Naturally, yeah. it makes yeah, yeah. the whole season look better oh. if Mercedes technically was in it even ha- in one race. Hamilton fans have had that for, for a long time. Uh, 2019, 2020, you know, I think even Hamilton fans were there hoping for someone to come through and then they got their wish in 2021. But yeah, there, there is that kind of thing where you go, if it's a bigger challenge i look better yeah and but what i do love about this is that mercedes with hamilton undercut verstappen two times they were playing the aggressive race strategy correctly and i think the safety cars just didn't help them out with that plan yeah i was just going to add to that that the point sort of before the 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 more techie and um the more tactical side of things is yeah of course you know we want to see tighter racing it's what what the sport wants and I think especially from a from a Red Bull fans point of view I think if you're if you're a Max fan in in this country when Max did take the title there wasn't the same sort of buzz and social media sort of hype about it I know there was lots of other things going on but you want it to be something that is you know, causes a lot of social media hype. You want it to be something that's plastered all over the news. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure it was abroad and it, maybe not to the, the point and the extent it was here. But, you know, we want it to be making, we want the sport to be making headlines and we want those battles. So, yeah, uh, yeah and I, I'm convinced after today that we'll see see more of that. Maybe in, in the later stages, you know, through these closing stages yeah, of the season well where do. everyone's, well, well, everyone, there's nothing to lose now, isn't it? Everyone has to go all out. Everyone has to give it everything. So, you know, I'm why sure we'll see more it. and then and then into into next season as well. Yeah, why, why not go for it? Absolutely. And it, there is a lot of optics and you can see that the team's, are aware of it so Lewis Hamilton is absolutely fantastic for this and Lewis Hamilton takes a book out of Scotty the engineer from Star Trek's books where you know Scotty was there going I can't push it any further captain the nacelles are feeling Uh, it's gonna take me 17 hours and there's a famous quote from Star Trek where he tells Geordie LaForge the next generation driver he says oh laddie you've got a lot to learn if you want people to think you're a miracle worker and that's what Lewis Hamilton does all the time you know my tyres are failing oh these tyres are shot and then he does the fastest lap and today it was all about the brakes saying oh these brakes these brakes aren't going to hold there's something terrible but he still pulls off this blinding performance so I think it's not enough to win people are also aware of the legacy and how it looks and in a season where you're this dominant brad and and max has been this dominant if you want to search around for the areas where he was good and you go where did he outdrive the cars very clear advantage this season it, it takes um it takes a little bit of fishing but i mean today if you look at the overtakes with his compatriots and and getting that lead they were decisive like we can't doubt his wheel to wheel prowess yeah i mean if you give one of the, if not the fastest driver on the grid, the fastest well, yeah. car, the most, the most dominant. You know, we know Adrian Newey is, you know, super brilliant car designer. This is his most dominant ever car. Max matched the record for wins today. If you give a driver oh, yeah. like that a car like that, then they're going to make it look a little bit easy uh, making the moves. But you notice the other drivers just starting to try and have little digs just <laughs> to make sure that Max knows that they know a lot of this is about he's got the car and if we were driving that car we'd be doing just as well you heard hamilton after the race in the deep in the debrief or the um the cool down room say oh we just can't hang with you guys on the straights you know that's <laughs> if you ever want to insult a racing driver <laughs> i see you tell them yeah. and if you want to damn them with faint praise you say oh your your car's really good on the straights man because that means 
you're you've got it easy you know yeah it's easy to be fast on the street i've interviewed a lot of people at karting events and always the guys who don't win they always mention that's the first thing they go to oh you know he, he did a really good race great defending but he was just losing me on the straights and that is always the thing they point to it's never oh yeah they had me on traction out of turn one and the crucial move that happened at the end of a straight um, came from a long way back as well. It was pretty clear, as you mentioned, lots of us were watching the sectors and I certainly was watching watching it on the F1 app. And you could see Hamilton was really strong in sector one, yeah, pretty strong in sector three, all the time losing in sector two, except in that kind of hard tyre phase in the middle of the race before Mercedes went for that aggressive uh, undercut. And Hamilton was surprised by how far back Max came from, which I think led to his less than brilliant in my eyes defense of that move oh in fact why don't we just go to to some of those overtaking maneuvers that won max verstappen the race today and we can start with that lewis hamilton one verstappen did come from an awful long way back hamilton's defense a i never like how much he leaves on the inside or tends to leave on the inside so you can tell me if you think you know that was that's right or wrong you know if that was verstappen verstappen would be pinned to the left-hand side there, approaching turn 11 on the back straight. Uh, but also, it looked like Hamilton was moving under braking, something that, obviously, Verstappen gets criticised for a lot. So the moving under braking just seems to have infiltrated the sport, and everyone's doing it. These reactive moves, and we'll get onto the Stroll Alonso one later, but reacting to what the driver behind does always used to be very frowned upon, and, and in fact, not even allowed in, in mm. some series, um, and would be heavily penalized because obviously the, the car behind is already committed to what they're doing. And if you suddenly change after they've committed, you can cause an accident, but that just seems to be how it is nowadays. Um, so Hamilton doing that element, I wasn't too surprised or, or annoyed about, but what surprised me was just how much room he left Max on the inside. So the corner where Max overtook, obviously the inside is where you want to position your car to make a move or to stay ahead. And that's why Max went for the inside. You know, that's that's where you go. That's the high ground. And Lewis only moved left a little bit half-heartedly too late. And he had a lot of time to be the one already on the inside when Max arrived. And I don't doubt that Max would have ultimately overtaken him mm. somehow anyway. But Lewis could have at least made it a bit harder. He could have forced him around the outside. But what we do tend to typically see Hamilton do is give the attacking driver the room yeah. on the inside, almost try and allow them to go deep in the corner and then cut back afterwards. And it's sometimes that does work. But at this corner, with a kind of double right-hander following it, going deep doesn't really affect you too much in is, terms of track position. Is, is that a karting thing? Does that feel like a classic karting manoeuvre to try and get the cut back? I mean, it's, an, it's any car ah. racing. It's any motorsport. Uh, even, I'm sure even motorbikes do exactly the same thing. So it's just the inside is the high ground. Hamilton had the option of being there. But from what he said afterwards, I think he just didn't realise how close Max had got had gotten so quickly. He said, you came from so far back. And that suggests to me he's kind of mentally coming to terms with the fact that Max was able to come through and he just didn't expect him to be able to because he was a long way back at the beginning of the straight. And then by the time he arrived at Hamilton, approaching the braking zone, suddenly he was there. And maybe Lewis had flicked his attention forward momentarily and suddenly it was too late. Well, it struck me very much as a down-the-middle defense for Lewis coming down that straight. You, you like, choose. I'm going to the dead middle yeah. and then try and pin my opponent. And I think he was, as you say, planning to take the inside. But unlike other incidents down that very same straight, I think he 
he thought he was more cautious, perhaps, about moving to the inside when he caught sight of where Verstappen was, if that makes any yeah, reaction by, from you. Like, he looked the time, in the mirrors. Yeah. By the time he saw what was happening, by the time he knew Max was committing to the inside, it kind of was too late, which is why he did that. That late jink to the inside and then kind of thought better of it. And we do have other examples of Lewis allowing Max Verstappen past him by letting him go up the inside. We had a couple of instances at Abu Dhabi last year. Um, the first lap where Max went down the inside um, and that ultimately worked out for Hamilton because yeah. technically um, Hamilton yeah, was forced off, off the road yeah. and he got to keep the position. So that one was okay. But then on the final lap, obviously, he left the door wide open. And again, I still think Max would have overtaken him later on. But what's frustrating is he didn't ev- he didn't take it to the limit. When I think a lot of drivers, and I definitely include Max in this, would have exhausted all options before that car came through. Even if the attacker does ultimately come through, they're only coming through after you've used up all of your cards. And I don't think Hamilton quite did today. That's the only criticism I'd have of him. I thought the rest of the drive was brilliant. Just that one moment, I think, could have been slightly better. How much of that is down to... Lewis not being in these positions so often this season and being out in front defending from Max and having him charging down behind. I think a lot of it is because you've got such a different um, car characteristic between that Red Bull and the Mercedes in terms of the drag of the Mercedes and the speed of the Red Bull. I think it's just a very mismatched battle. So when you, you can't really defend on an even playing field like that, and I think Lewis accepted that it was probably ultimately going to happen and still wanted to bank the points for the Constructors' Championship. So if it was the final lap, maybe it would have been different. Maybe he would have fought it more um, more clearly. But yeah, it was like six we, laps to go, wasn't it? And he, and he obviously feels a lot more of what's going on with his car than I do, sitting on the <laughs> sofa watching. And as we saw, his tyres, his rears had gone off by the end. So he probably just wanted to bank that second place and not fight too hard. But it's just, it, you want to see a little bit more fight when you're behind a particular driver. Yeah, absolutely. That was the point I was sort of getting at is if this was any other season, if things hadn't already been wrapped up, because you'll also know that constructors have been wrapped up at that point as well, whether we would have seen more of this this fight and that sort of hunger and the the not giving up, like dog with the bone that we <laughs> used to see Lewis race yeah. like, whether we'd see more of that if it was you know, any other season or a different, different position. Yeah. Well, I, I, I get where you're going, but I like you're talking about the different car characteristics too, because what this also makes me think of is an earlier defense of Leclerc against Verstappen into turn one, where Leclerc did do a successful cutback and was actually able to get back ahead of Max. I think very much Lewis was setting up to do that, but the, as you said, just the nature of the track, kind of defeated that move because of how it went afterwards. I really, really loved that move, Brad, from Leclerc. And I think, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I feel like it was beautifully subtle. I think Leclerc set up as if he was going to squeeze Verstappen to the inside and then at the last minute adopted the undercut line, which is the wider line coming back in. And I think that is a case of just he he duped Verstappen into taking uh, the the tighter line, thinking that it was going to be tight on the narrow, and then he would be able to force him out wide. Uh, where, whereas, in fact, Leclerc was setting up the the switchback the whole time. Am I reading too much into that? No, it's it's just like uh, a matador with a bull <laughs> running towards them. Nice, where the bull aims at the the red 
sheet Literally, and then you yeah. move it out of the way at the last moment. It's it's that kind of thing. And just whilst I'm talking about that, um, bullfighting's a really bad thing. Don't support it. <laughs> sure, fair um, enough. But yeah, it's, it's like that. And Leclerc's very good at judging that. Uh, we saw that a few times. I think he did that a couple of times at Bahrain at the beginning of the year. Mm. Um, and that probably was the kind of thing Hamilton intended once he knew it was inevitable that was coming. But the problem is at that part of the track where he was, it works out very differently to turn one. It's a it's quite a typical strategy at turn one because it's a very strange corner. The way mm. the elevation change levels off um, and the corner is obviously very, very tight. And then you've got that downhill section afterwards. You can really get a better run down the hill by doing a cutback, a little bit like Sainz was trying to do on Verstappen at the very first corner of the race. Where Hamilton and Verstappen were battling, it's got this kind of slower right-hander immediately afterwards. So being deep in the left-hander actually just gives you the high ground for the following corner. Um, You're you're already in the right defensive position for that that next one. And if anyone's wondering why Brad was making a political statement about bullfighting this afternoon, he and I sat down, we watched the Book of Life, it had a lot of lessons, we sang, we cried, we had tacos. It was a whole thing. But there was also some amazing racing from Leclerc. I think Leclerc really did kind of cover himself in glory in this race. The overtake map uh, on Perez was just, it was delicious. And I haven't done it yet, but I want to go back. I want to watch that in slow motion with the driver input side by side. I felt like they both played their part in that being just an amazing maneuver. Yeah, and that was critical to his race to get in front of Perez at that point because he he had benefited from the benefited from the safety car, but come out behind Perez. So if he had any notion of of fighting for a podium or being at the front of the race, he had to get round. And Perez was putting up a quite, uh, as we've come to expect, resolute defense. <laughs> and he completely caught him out going into turn 11. Perez left the door open a little bit and Leclerc said, watch me dance on my brakes. It was um, it was so far back. That's the thing, Matt. Matt, Matt. It was it was so far back, and you just go right. It, w- he had to modulate the brakes all throughout that corner. Um, obviously, I think it's probably best to get Brad's take on that. But it really did look like you know it was a high risk of locking. You could see their inputs. Like he's having to think about it all the time. Is this on? Is this on? And then eventually, you know, it gets down the inside. And also a high risk of it not counting if you go all four wheels off on the exit. And we we had this theme throughout the weekend of track limits being policed quite strictly um, and sometimes not quite as strictly as as, um, some of the fan base would like. And we can talk about those instances later, maybe. But if you make that move that Leclerc did and you go slightly off, as he did, uh, was it one lap or two laps previously, you have to then give the position back. So Mm. judging it just right and keeping just one tyre within the white lines it's quite tricky because you've really compromised your line by doing the dive bomb. Okay, and, and just to round off this where the race was won and lost, Matt, I think something Mercedes fans might look at in this race is go, as you mentioned before, they went for two undercuts. That is a an oddly aggressive strategy from Mercedes. They never went for those kind of roll the dice. I've often criticised Mercedes for a, and this is not as bad as it sounds, a do-nothing tactical approach. Like, they they are reactive rather than proactive. Today, they were very proactive. Do they take that into 2023? I think that they do. I think that fundamentally, these tactics, we'll have to see how the regulation changes play out 
next season. But fundamentally, with this regulation set that we have, assuming it stays broadly the same, you have to think differently about your strategy than you did previously when we had a much different kind of aerodynamic profile to the cars. And I think because they've they've suffered under the new regulations and they haven't got the strongest car that they would like, I think they're now having to look for other ways where they can make marginal gains. And in the in the past, it's worked being reactive when they've mm-hmm. got the speed yep. and they've got the legs to go back out and they can make up ground. And they've been in the position that now we see the Red Bulls in where they know that they can be slightly more reactive. So I think... Part, partly it's down to them having to be more reactive now and more pushing the strategies they want people to follow to their advantage because they haven't got the car speed at the minute. Yeah, and this is what I want to get back to. It was clear, if you watched Hamilton after the race, he was as happy as he's ever been because he gave every. he was in a position where he had to drive to the absolute limit of his abilities and nothing, nothing, even winning, doesn't make him as happy as when he's in that place, in my opinion. And so that tells me that Mercedes did not build the car that could win. But if you look carefully, and even if you're a Ferrari fan, if you look carefully at today's race, you see the improvements that they have made at the end of this season that's going to make next season even more exciting. Because I think Mercedes has done a lot of understanding and improving And we saw it today in the race. And I would argue the same for Ferrari, especially around their tire degradation issues. So Matt, do you think that because Mercedes have had such a bad year, technically, they've had such a a difficult car that they didn't understand and it it was all going wrong. Do you think they'll actually put themselves in a better position because they'll they'll now have a deeper understanding with all the analysis they've had to do when it comes to building next year's car? I think when everyone at Mercedes says, we know the exact mistake we made, we know we built a car that couldn't win, but look how close we got anyway. Yeah, I think think that's a bit of a silver lining at this point. Amazing. And uh, last thing on the top two, before we go into the the start, there is a bit of a whose fault is it coming up, Uh, but Max Verstappen was struggling with wind. Texas barbecue? No. This is a wind-sensitive formula. All the drivers were struggling with wind. I should probably not say blowing up the backside, should I? That's wrong. No, no I but won't was say it that. that? How does yeah. wind affect a Formula One car? To make it Brad. a serious grown-up question, Brad. You want to go with that first? Well, when you're on the limit uh, in a car which is um, largely dependent on its aero um, for for the grip that it's generating, and the wind changes direction. So say it goes from a headwind to a tailwind, just an example. And this, the airspeed over your aerodynamic elements changes dramatically. And therefore the amount of downforce they're producing changes dramatically. And if you're on the limit at that point, suddenly the limit is a lot lower than what you've committed to and you'll have a horrible snap and the car will respond very badly. So you need a, a stable you need the air to be stable to have the most predictable car. And when you're committing to high-speed corners and it's not predictable, first of all, you'll lose time from the mistakes that induces the real-time... I say mistakes. You can't predict the wind's going to mm. suddenly change, but uh, the the moment that it causes. But you'll also lose time in subsequent laps from not trusting the car because 
you don't want to commit to it again. You only just got away with it last time. You don't want to commit to that same speed again and find that the wind changes again or you have a moment in a different place where you then end up in the barrier. So it takes a few more laps to build back up the confidence to push to the same limit as you did before. So the wind does sap driver's confidence and make things really difficult. And it looked like Verstappen was certainly suffering with that. I saw a few laps where there was like an inexplicable time loss to Hamilton when he was chasing him. And I think, and he then he then heard a radio message where he complained about the wind. So I think some of that was was due to the wind. Yeah, well, we heard that all race long, in fact. And what you could see at the beginning was that big flag that hangs out by the uh, by turn one. You could see it changing direction. It was blowing down the track towards uh, turns two, three, and four, and then it would shift and blow down. And a hundred percent, we're in an aerodynamic regulation set that gets most of its downforce, a big chunk of the downforce from the floor. And you have to get all the air coming under the car out correctly. And suddenly, if you take a 20 or 30 kilometer hour wind and blow it at the back of the car instead of the front of the car, its handling characteristics are going to change pretty massively. And that's what Brad was talking about. The car becomes unpredictable in corners and the drivers lose confidence in what it's going to do. Mm, very interesting tech aerodynamics. I understood all the things. Now let's talk about race cars go crash bang uh, as we play a game. Whose fault is it? <laughs> the fun bit is when everyone's safe in the end, but there's lots of car bits flying everywhere. And here on Missed Apex Podcast, we have a 100% blame policy. So for anyone new catching the show... Let us reiterate that we do not acknowledge racing incidents here on Missed Apex Podcast. There is always someone mostly to blame for any contact or near contact. This is based on my toxic marriage. If there was a fire in our house, we would have to establish blame before we saved the cats or our children in order of which child we preferred. There would be fires blazing around us, molten bricks falling from the roof, and my wife would stop me and go, it was your fault, you left the thing on, and I would have to plead my case whilst the house burnt around us. Mercedes have a zero blame culture where they say when things go wrong, we just we don't blame anyone, uh, we just try and figure out the best way forward. That is not what we do here Blame must be assigned. The first incident under scrutiny is George Russell and Carlos Shane's crashing in turn one. So we're going to ask, whose fault is it? Let's start by going over to MC Ellen Ellard. Uh, have you sorted out a better Twitter handle yet? Or, or are you still... No. Ellen Ellard with a, a number of underscores around it. No, because I, I don't intend to, because if I do, then we'd have no fun to poke at each other. Oh, my so goodness. Right. then what would our relationship become? What would our <laughs> friendship become? I'd just go and find another podcast. It's all built on your underscores. That's the foundation of what you <laughs> exactly and I... Exactly, it is. It <laughs> genuinely is. So at, just search for Ellen Ellard on yeah, social media. Up. You yeah. find uh, your Twitter, your Instagram, uh, but we will have links in the show notes below. So go and follow Ellen doing everything because she is a current and future superstar. You want to say, I knew Ellen when she was just on some muggy shed podcast. So whose fault was it? George Russell. Why? Why? Because um, it, he wasn't, but I don't really feel, and he he did slightly admit it after that he, re he wasn't really paying attention to the, 
the battle at hand and didn't expect or predict science to to come across. Um, by the looks of it and the sounds of it, he was more concerned at the Mercedes battle that he was in, the lockup, and then it, it just didn't... I, I don't really feel like he was fully focused. Um, signs came across well within his right to take the racing line and... Uh, and yeah, Russell just wasn't in the best position and and didn't really predict that it would happen, which he should have should have been paying more attention to what was going on around him and not less less so Lewis, who expertly swerved it. So uh, yeah, just I, want I, to drop that in there. So I'm glad you pointed that out that he was focused on his teammate because there was essentially two battles happening, which was Carlos Sainz versus Max Verstappen, mm. and then you would like to think that that unified front of Mercedes would hold for longer than it did. But as they were going up up the hill, Hamilton squeezed George Russell. So you go, why are you squeezing your teammate? If it really was a united two-pronged attack, you'd think Hamilton would just be fully on the right-hand side and concentrating on his line. But he didn't. He, he sort of gently hustled Russell to take an inside line. Russell's eyes were focused on that battle with Hamilton. I'm mm. convinced of that. So I don't think he even factored in what was going on ahead with Sainz and, and Verstappen. No, he admitted he didn't. He said oh, did he? in his it, in his oh, post race, okay. he uh, said that he uh, it he, he he took full full accountability uh, for it, as of course he would do, considering he he took the penalty and mm. um, yeah, he, in his post race, he was uh, I mean quite gracious about it, and he said that they'd gone and had had a chat, and you know, it, 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 from my point of view, yeah, he just wasn't focused on it, it's it's did, a difficult one. Did he admit that because, he was focusing on Hamilton? No, no, he didn't. Ah, okay. From what the so from what I saw on Sky, he didn't admit to what he just said. There was a lot going on, and he hadn't expected signs to to come across, which I think. Well, there you go. Of is, course, you would. Is that a good excuse, Brad? There was just a lot going on out there, to be honest. So you guys have, have covered the first part, and and I agree with what you said. Um, I think that the start that the drivers on the left hand side of the grid got on you know the dirty side was surprisingly good and obviously both Verstappen and Russell were drawing alongside or ahead of the, the drivers on their right hand side who started a little bit further ahead and you're right that Russell did have his peripheral vision at the very least slightly looking towards Hamilton and you saw Russell then had a minor lockup as he approached the apex and everything still would have been fine had it not been for what happened just ahead of them which was a slight chain reaction Max Verstappen checked up on the exit. So you can see from the overhead shots, Verstappen is is coming to the edge of the track and there's a brief moment where he kind of hesitates on the throttle, whether it's because he knows he's going to run a little bit wide, he wants to avoid the exit curb and becoming unsettled, um, or if, if he's just trying to inconvenience sight, yeah. which he's also entitled to do. And valid, that you're allowed to, you're not obliged to, to floor it at a specific point. Yeah, you're allowed to hesitate mm. on the throttle. Um, what you wouldn't be allowed to do is nail the brakes at that point, and he definitely didn't do that. Science then realised he needed, if he wanted to gain any kind of high ground on Verstappen, he needed to cut back to the left-hand side because his positioning allowed a better straighter exit and he would have got better traction down the hill. And so as he turned to the left to try and avoid the rear of Verstappen to make uh, take advantage of his better exit, Russell then appeared on the scene and Russell needed more room for the, the um, move and the line and the speed that he'd committed to. So had everything played out as Russell expected it to, he wouldn't have made contact with science. I think Russell was going where he meant to go. Yes. What he didn't take into account was what happened between the two cars just ahead of him with the, with the Verstappen slowing down very slightly or just not, not accelerating as early as he expected 
Sainz then moving to avoid that or take advantage of it. And Russell then appeared and spun Sainz around. So I think there are some extenuating circumstances uh, for Russell, but it was definitely still his fault. He was actually very lucky not to suffer a lot mm. of damage from it. Yeah, just because he hit dead on with the impact structure of the nose and put signs out of the race. But I'm just going to bring up once again, Leclerc and Perez in that same quarter later in the race. That is exactly what signs was about at that point. And he was fully entitled to make that move. And I think Brad is right. I suspect had he not tried it, he would have just punted Verstappen from behind instead. So it, it Maybe there's some mm. minor extenuating circumstances, but I have a hard time not saying that's kind of on Russell, especially with yeah. the lockup into the into the apex. Uh, so uh, Martin in our uh, patron chat says that you should never penalize a turn one move. Like just, you know, just trust everyone that they're doing their best and have a gentleman's <laughs> agreement. And look, I can see... I can see what you're saying, which is that it's very difficult into turn one. People are, no one's trying to wreck their own race. No one's trying to damage their nose cone. So you could give it more leniency. However, something we impress in our series for karting and sim racing is that on lap one, you can't use all the track in the same way that you would do in a normal racing maneuver. So in a normal racing maneuver here, uh, Russell is thinking, I'm, I've been squeezed slightly to the inside. Therefore, I'm going to have to take a shallow approach to the apex. So I'll take an early apex and then I'll go all the way to the outside and, and try and do a block pass, kind of like a block maneuver. So Hamilton has to check up and, and leave it. But I think in any lap one scenario, in, in, in any series, you can't expect to go from one side of the track to the other side of the track as if there's no car there. I, am I being too harsh, Ellen? He went from the apex to the exit and expected not to hit anyone. No, I'm in total agreement. If anything, I'm saying you're stating the absolute obvious there when you've got 20 cars so close <laughs> exactly. together, especially on a track like Circuit of the Americas, it is the, that launch that you get, particularly no, if you're in the inside totally, yeah. or if you're in sort of positions then two on that on that left-hand side, you do get, and we've seen it in the past, the launch up the inside there can be used to great advantage as we saw Verstappen take today and he was he was gifted there wasn't he with that so I I think you're absolutely stating the obvious it's not it's it's any situation of course your first lap and how many times do we see it first corner first lap Mm. do, do we see incidents because yeah it wouldn't happen further later on in the race because the cars are are more sparse you've got 20 cars rammed into the space of one corner all trying to Mm. get the best start they can of course there's going to be incidents but that's when as a driver especially you know yeah you can say from george russell's point of view oh it's not panned out as he expected Mm. you've got 20 drivers who have all seeing a race panned out as they expect in their heads that's 20 different scenarios. You can't fit that into one corner for so, everyone so to get their dreams. P- people want the same leniency applied to lap one that they would to a manoeuvre 10 laps later. And it's like there should be like uh, some special lap one etiquette. No, like- no, I, I don't particularly agree with that because the risks are so much higher with, with that many cars in one place. I, I don't think that, I think if you start putting leniency into lap one, 
then what you know that's that's yeah. where the risks are higher and these risks and these walls and these regulations yeah. are there to protect the drivers if that's what i'm saying like maybe that, yeah I don't, I don't think make it any more lenient i just think george needs to think and not go for what he expects i think he just needs you know as a racing driver you need eyes in every position it's not easy to do but that as a racing driver is what makes you special brad lap one survival is a a racing driver skill in itself isn't it Yes, uh, there are situations where you, uh, you've taken out or you know, you're spun around or whatever, and it, there really was nothing you could have done about it. And sometimes when you've got complex murmuration, that's a word um, that I've never used in this podcast yeah. before, murmuration of cars or moving and responding to each other. A murmuration, um, okay. Yeah. In real time. Yeah, yeah. look that up. Yeah, I'm sure. I'll look on Urban Dictionary later. Um Basically, there are some situations where I think it would be very, very difficult to apply rigid um, adjudications of exactly who was at fault. But largely, I am in favour of, of of adjudicating every single incident exactly the same and applying the same logic and rules to them. I just think there might be some times on the first lap where it is nearly impossible to say who is at fault. Most of the time, it probably is possible. And in this one, I think it certainly is possible to say who was at fault and they only need to say who was predominantly at fault yeah it is predominantly at fault and i think what makes this one easier than maybe some of the other lap one incidents you might be thinking of brad is the fact that russell wasn't in a fight with signs for position in the slightest he was (laughs) in a fight with hamilton for position so that makes it easier to say well that's his fault he he you know he wrecked the battle ahead of him in his own fight therefore wasn't taking proper uh care under the circumstances oh we get to play more whose fault is this okay we're getting to the stroll alonzo thing i'm looking around my panel i'm trying to gauge opinion and see who has opinions on things where should we go first okay let's go to brad brad i'm going to you first it was on a straight man and whenever I see these kind of carbon fiber incidents everywhere, cars jumping in the air, and it's on a straight, it always makes me wince. Can we at least agree, before arguing about anything, that this is an entirely avoidable situation? Yes, yeah, so we definitely agree on that. Um, I want to take some credit for my excellent predictive skills on this one. <laughs> okay. So I... We saw the crash, but we didn't see what caused the crash. So watching watching the TV pictures, we obviously saw there was a major incident. And we saw that it was between Alonso and Stroll. And I messaged our group chat. You might not have noticed because you yeah. were probably paying attention to the race. But I messaged our group chat and I said, I bet that, w-, I'm paraphrasing myself, but I bet that was Stroll responding too late to Alonso making a move on him. And then we saw the replay and I was vindicated um, because that's exactly what it was. Alonso made... An absolutely legitimate, fine, late move to the left to overtake. You know, took the slipstream right mm-hmm. up until the last moment, moved to the left, and Stroll reacted to that. And the stewards' report um, mentions that he reacted to it. Stroll has actually been handed a three-place grid penalty for the next race because of this. So it ha- he has been deemed to be at fault for specifically moving too late. Um, and when you do that, you're you're basically inviting a crash yeah. because you the car behind has committed to that, especially when it's that late. It's yeah. one thing in a braking zone. It's it's a very, very similar thing actually in this situation. So we've seen a lot of situations 
in fact, if you search Lance Stroll mirrors, you're going to find a lot of videos where through F3, F2, Formula One, he has just turned in and it looks like he's not looking in his mirrors. In this situation, Brad, you can look on the Stroll onboard. He takes a look over to his left. He sees what's happening. He jinks left. So he's clearly responding very, very late on a straight. And it feels like I, I don't. I looked at that and I went, oh, my goodness, that is the kind of thing that can kill someone. It feels like three place grid drop is really, really lenient. In fact, Matt, Matt, you are the arbiter of whether I'm engaging in hyperbole. I saw that. I looked at it. Uh, obviously, I've got a history of being a little bit critical of Lance Stroll. So I was like, oh, I best check myself. But I looked at that and I went, if that's not a race ban, what is? Well, it, it made me think, honestly, of Grosjean and Spa, if nothing <laughs> else, in terms of its... Um in terms of the effect, but but also just in terms of the lack of situational awareness. Um, Sam Collins did a lovely presentation on this accident. Alonzo was going 296 kilometers an Ooh, hour. What's that in real speed? 184 miles per That's hour. That's really quick. Faster than a 787 takes off, he said. So I will <laughs> quote him here. Um, and it... it made me think also of NASCAR where they've actually installed like special panels that will come up to keep cars from going airborne and I wondering whether those. or not maybe, they're great. Yeah. Mm. Whether or not that's something formula one, it's a rare accident where yeah. we see this, but when you do it, the last thing you want to see is like a uh, Weber where the car goes completely up and over. Um, but it was the exact opposite of Hamilton ever stopping to me. Brad. Where oh, Hamilton sorry, looked, and well, some people said he couldn't see in his mirror, but because of that, he was more cautious. Whereas Stroll knew Alonso was coming, looked and said, oh, I better get over there quick. But by the time he yeah. moved over, the moment he turned that wheel, his rear tire was already chunking carbon fiber out of Alonso's front wing. And it's just fortunate for Alonso that he was that far alongside, because if he'd come upon... If if his if he'd come upon Stroll and Stroll had moved a bit further over, that would have been a much, much nastier accident. Yeah, so there was essentially, from the moment Stroll chose to react, there was Wild. nothing Alonso could have done. There was he was he it was an instantaneous contact. So Stroll or anyone in this position needs to understand when it's too late, you know, when, when you've lost the, he might not have necessarily even lost the position. You know, we didn't, you didn't get to see the move play out. He probably would have lost it, mm. but you have to admit defeat at some point. And when the alternative to admitting defeat is <laughs> a very high chance that you're sending the other car into the air and into the barriers, that's definitely too late. So this was actually an example, um, strangely of, of Stroll being too good at looking in the mirrors. Stroll reacted the moment uh, somehow he was super fast to see Alonso move, and then Stroll got the wheel turned. Um, I, I would really like to explore how on earth Alonso's car not only made it back to the pits, Amazing. but finished the race and then climbed up through the field. But um, in terms of incident and fault, this is only going in one direction, and Stroll is rightly the one that's been penalised and had penalty points. I just don't think he's been penalised enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to fight anyone on that, but I'm going to show you my drawing, which is... <laughs> Okay. I did this during the race and my notes because it descended into tiredness and me just drawing what was going on. And okay. that is 
Alonso still running and then a mind blown emoji <laughs> because that was absolutely insane. And I totally agree that, that Stroll should have been penalized more. I, I was disappointed because in my sort of opening notes from what I was like looking for pre, mm. um, pre-race, I've got Stroll highest um, quality position in yeah. two years. Yeah. And I was like, you know, we're always looking for, for nicer stories from, from the midfield and down. And I was like, that's, that's really nice. Um, and it's just a shame that he's wrecked sort it. Of, it. Yeah, he's wrecked yeah. it. <laughs> he's thrown away that great result in quality um, and maybe the memories that he's had that he'll have of that with some really stupid driving. It, how can you not see what's going to happen? It, it just shows a basic lack of understanding of racing that if you you know if you're going to make that move and there's a car coming in behind that there's going to be a collision. There's no there's no other way it pans out and I, it. Just yeah. shows that he doesn't fully understand the concept of of his actions. And and how do you get this far without realizing it, Brad? So uh, just 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 to check that we're not being too harsh on Lance Stroll. Like if Alonso was creeping up alongside or had got alongside, and there's two meters between them, Lance Stroll can move across and occupy that two meters. There's no problem with that. Like that's that's all about positioning and and defending. But when you just use your car to block the direction that a car is coming in on a straight, especially when there's a speed delta, there's no doubt that you you can't just move your car in front of a, a you know an approaching car to occupy that space and go ah now you have to dodge me. It isn't dodgems. Yes, yeah, so we we've spoken about the the etiquette and the mm. rules of racing quite a lot over the years on this program, mm. and and as you pointed out there, if there's not already a car in a space generally you're entitled to move your car into that space but there are some caveats and this is one of them if we're in a braking zone and that a car behind you has committed to being in a particular space and and you should you should know that from your situational awareness and and from their closing speed if you then occupy that space you're effectively choosing to have a crash because the other car has no options to avoid it they might be able to steer around that is one option but more often than not, they're going to end up in the space they've committed to. If you put your car there, you're going to end up with a crash. Similarly, if there's a big overspeed, um, not in a braking zone, like we saw today with Stroll and Alonso, and there's very, very little time for that car to change their trajectory. For example, if Stroll had moved across and Alonso was still half a second away from arriving yeah. in that space, yeah, Alonso yeah. could have steered more, lifted off, braked, whatever. But there was just no time for him to react. And Stroll's own reaction afterwards was to say that he'd left Alonso plenty of room, meaning all the space to the left of where the crash happened. But that misses the point. Okay. That shows that Stroll, either he's just defending himself because you know he wants to defend himself at all costs, or he just doesn't understand that the problem isn't that he didn't leave enough space laterally for Alonso. He didn't leave enough space in the position that Alonso was fully committed to occupying. That that's exactly the point that I was trying to get at, and that that defence that you know, you you quoted before before we came on air is is exactly what I was trying to get at. I didn't want to steal the the quote from <laughs> you, Brad, but that that's exactly the point. It's either and if you are even if he is trying to defend himself to the end, you're only making yourself look worse at that point. <laughs> yes. You know, there's you're showing like your George ignorance. did, like yeah, well, like George did. Yeah. You know, there is value to saying yeah, okay, I see, I made a mistake. Fair, Matt. Well, uh, 
Brad mentioned this uh, moving over, and it made me think of Verstappen and Ricardo in Baku, where it, in the braking zone, Verstappen moved over and took all of Ricardo's, I believe this is, I've got that, the details right, all of his uh, downforce off the front, and then he mm. couldn't stop and smash into when both That of was the in a braking zone. This was just in the normal straight. But I mm. promised you before the show, I would come up with a defense for Stroll. Let's go. Let's go. Because somebody had to. Yeah, vamos. And let's I, go. And I'm the most awake of all of you right now. <laughs> That's this, true. This is close to my time yeah. zone. <laughs> so here it goes. Now, this entire defense is predicated on the fact that we were specifically talking about Magic Alonso, the 100 times faster than you driver. He would have won today if it wasn't for that. And the thing of it is, you have to know who you're racing. And he knew who he was racing, and he still oh, judged it that finely. So if I was going to find fault for Alonso, that's the only place I could find it. And I'm just going to say right now that that is a stretch and put forward for nope. hypothetical purposes nope. only. No, nope. I like it. Honestly, okay, I, I honestly like it. Because you're making a point that I've been beating my head against a brick wall for for the last six seasons when people defend Lance Stroll with such a low bar. The bar for Lance Stroll is so low that I'm fully expecting someone to go on Twitter today and say at least he didn't take out two cars. And that seems to happen every single time Lance Stroll is involved in an incident to the point where you are making sense, Matt. You are absolutely correct that Fernando Alonso should have considered who he was overtaking on a straight, and who was the person looking in his mirrors and reacting to him, that is kind of on Fernando Alonso. Because the fact is, Formula One has a Lance Stroll there, and other drivers need to adjust accordingly. I want to point out how guarded and polite Alonso was <laughs> compared to how he ordinarily <laughs> yes. would respond to drivers <laughs> who do a, a thing like this, or much less. You're right. Him. Why <laughs> would that be? Potentially because of of his employer for next year. I was I was waiting for an Alonso rant, and I wonder whether he nearly whether it nearly came out of his mouth, or maybe he was saved by the fact he was so shocked from having flown through yes, the air. Yes, I think so. Meters. That might be that as well. Yeah. But I think normally he would have been calling people idiots and and you know asking for their head. But he was extremely well behaved in his in his responses over the radio. Yeah. I think he said it was just. One of those accidents where everything goes wrong or something like that. But. Yep. Well, he's half right. Uh, but whatever Alonso's car is made out of, we should make aeroplanes aer- out of that because Fernando Alonso crashed into the rear of another car, was lifted at 45 degrees on its rear wings like a bucking stallion for about 500 metres, hit a wall and, uh, and escaped with only some slight wobbly mirror damage. Yeah, and... The thing, this is going to be weird, but I think that accident saved Alonzo's race. <laughs> what? Absolutely. Because he had moved, unlike his teammate, he had moved onto the medium tire. And uh, in opposition to uh, most of the other people's pit stops who went from the medium to the hard, he went from hard to medium. But because he crashed... They put him on the only other set of tires that were left, which was another set of hards. And then kind of like Magnuson, who ran a one-stop, although he went from hard to medium, he basically was on a one-stop strategy. But he was going from the back on the hard tire so he could bring them in gently and make them last all the way to the end of the race. And it wound up working out very much in his favor 
in terms of where he finished. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm going to look around my panel here and say, who is a Vettel fan? Are there any Vettel fans here on the panel? <gasps> really? Brad? You're a Sebastian Vettel fan? Where's, where's that come from? I've You've... always admired him oh, really? for his... Uh, I wasn't a fan when he was in period, in you know, in his dominant <laughs> period. period. Um, but I've admired him for his um, extra... Extracurricular oh, I activities, see. but I don't. I don't mean picking up litter. I mean oh, racing champions. Oh, I mean, right, yeah. I mean, he's been really good in um, non F one events. Mm. Um, I thought he was. I'm very surprised at his kind of fall from grace in terms of pace as he's mm. aged. I thought he would be a driver a bit more like Hamilton, where you know the you age doesn't dull on. them that much, and they're still yeah, yeah. There, there's a reason for that, and it's called kids. But do continue. Yeah, very. That may well be correct, but but yeah, I'm. I would consider myself a Aston Martin era Vettel fan. Yeah. So so carry on. What? Oh, why oh, did you oh, ask okay. that? Okay. So 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 is it genuinely driving and not just like his bee and insect hotels that he set up and all like you know. Oh, he's saving the planet. No, it's not just that. Oh, okay, there there are elements that. of that I I admire as well. Um, there's some things that that we could talk about as well. Um, but. I thought he did. I thought he did surprisingly well today, considering his starting position. So this this is the thing. If you're a Sebastian Vettel fan, which is why I'm asking today, gives you hope. Like you look at Sebastian Vettel and you go, "Why is he retiring?" And the rest of the season, it doesn't quite feel like that, Alan. But today, you see him piling around the outside of Magnussen and Albon and just looking aggressive. And you go, "Maybe he has another forty years." Well, no, I disagree. And okay. I think we should. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm also, so grow, I grew up, um, I grew up through sort of the Vettel eras. Uh, and so I've always looked up to him mm. as, you know, one of the best drivers that I've known through. He was the champ. When I was growing up. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, again, I agree with Brad, the work he does off the track is also admirable. But, um, and yeah, he did great today. He did. I was I was really impressed. Um, but I do think we need to lock him down now for the the rest of the season because I I, I don't think I can deal uh, from an OCD point of view with ha- him having any more 
than 3,500 laps led. Oh, it needs uh, to be exact. It needs to be on, right, needs to okay. be on the point. So, uh, so oh, he, he led a lap today. I forgot he that. Did, he actually yes, did yeah. lead one lap. Yeah, exactly. So that's clocked it over to 3,500. <laughs> so if we can just make sure that he doesn't lead any more laps, because if it's 3,501, I am going to lose my mind. But yeah, I, I, was, I, I loved what we saw today. Yeah. And I, I think you want to go out on a high. You know, you look at the disappointing situation that Danny Rick's in at the minute. And, you know, you hate to see Ricardo look so upset at the end of races yeah. and so down and disappointed. If Vettel can go out, it's not going to be, you know, the highs of the past. But if if he can go out on a high or just having good it, races and enjoying the racing, because mm. I guarantee you he enjoyed every yeah. every second of that lap it's, so if he can go out enjoying that then it's I'm, almost I'm, like he should have just like gone down the inside of magnuson with that great move around the outside on the edge of locking down the inside to the penultimate left-hander got through crossed the finish line pulled over popped some champagne just stuck his middle fingers up to everyone and gone yeah i'm sebastian vettel i'm a four-time world champion and then gone home and that would have been a great ending that like Absolutely. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I just, I think if you can go out of the sport, bow out with, with some positive notes some and it not be, you know, just constant sort of midfield and, you know, the odds, the odd venturing up, then great. So I, that's, that's what I like to see. So let's be clear. After Stroll um, exited himself from the race, battle <laughs> yeah. was on for a pretty good finish. And it wasn't until he came in for that pit stop that took forever that yeah. he had real yes. issues. And he, he came back out, like, I think he was in second place. And by the time he got back out, he was all the way down to 13th. Yeah. And he passed um, uh, from lap uh, 48 to lap 56, Sunoda, Joe, Albin. And then on the very last lap, he passed Magnuson. And turn 16 through 18. There weren't a lot oh, of turns left good. to make this happen. And the thing that I really love about it is that Magnuson went from the hard tire to the medium tire and essentially ran a one-stop. So he was on like ancient medium tires. And Vettel's weren't that much, weren't that that much younger. And it was such a great fight. But I love this about Vettel. And with this Aston, it looks like it's coming into focus as a car. And you begin to think, man, how much did Ferrari let him down when he was there? How much did Red Bull let him down after the exhaust-blown diffusers went away? Because clearly, if you give him a car, he can drive. Well, yeah, he's he's he proved that today, you know, making up the the disappointment, you know, he had the similar thing. I think they put that down to a tech issue as well, didn't they? The gun, it was, that wasn't human error. They said, well, I think they, they I heard they mentioned that it was, it was gun <laughs> failure again. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he was super impressive today and he's just shown his class once again. Yeah. And I, that's one of the things that I really like about Sebastian Vettel is so on so few occasions as he dropped that class there's been I think was it the one time where he went and swapped down the uh the positions in Park Ferme was that that, that was that was a Vettel move yeah. that's and even that he did it with class he did it with style he's always been one of those drivers that just has the charisma and and he backs it up on the track and and he did today <laughs> counter swapping the position 
Marcus was it. a massive <laughs> tantrum. Um, <laughs> no, but I love it. Uh, it was but, an enjoyable tantrum. It was, it was, it was and he did it with style. <laughs> uh, but I, I, Brad, just on, on Vettel, I think he, he went into this race and to quote a, a film that you and I both love and, and often snuggle up to, to watch, he went into this race saying, no retreat, no surrender. Yeah, I haven't. I don't know that reference. Um, yes, but you, you don't. I, I just wanted don't to counter. The, I just wanted to counter the Vettel such a special film from all of us to us. Saying he, he did have a pretty bad qualifying. Um, out he was out qualified by someone who we were just slating a little while earlier. Um, I don't oh, know right, yes, whether true. there were any yeah. extenuating circumstances there. Um, but he hasn't. I don't think he solidly had the better of Stroll in their time together. Um, so I, I still wouldn't say I think Vettel's I, I think operating. it has. I think it has been a substantial difference, but I think we would have expected a, a higher difference. And I, I'm fully expecting Alonso to bridge a bigger gap. Yeah, that's the point I was yeah. going to make. I, I, I would expect Alonso to be performing at a higher level than Vettel mm. has been. But today's performance, if we take that in isolation, in the race, I thought was really good. I was going to say, Alonso was literally performing at a higher level than Stroll, <laughs> at least for a couple of hundred meters. Okay, fair enough. Uh, right. I, I'm going to go to Brad, actually, for the last point I want to go to before uh, the podium. Like, there was a lot of uh, great battles out there today. I think we've covered a lot of the racing side today, which has been brilliant because with all of the the talk of cost caps and rules and um, uh, and and broader championship connotations, it was great just to have a race which, in isolation had a lot of talking points but brad you serve a very useful function to me which is that i get to be super neutral and not care about massive inconsistencies in stewarding because you're here but sergio perez uh, was 400 meters behind a safety car he did that 18 times during a race and then didn't get a penalty until he was able to give his case to the stewards Gasly today, someone in front of him booted it, instant five-second penalty. Yeah, so we had a couple of pretty clear examples of potential inconsistencies today for a couple of different incidents where we've had recent examples of a certain precedent which were then thrown out of the window seemingly today. So the Gasly penalty um, you're talking about being too far behind the safety mm. car is definitely one of them. And just just to fill everyone in, just to remind everyone... Uh, Perez at Singapore uh, had this same offence several times, I think three times, ended up with a five-second penalty, but only after the race, only after he had a warning not to do it again, did it again and was then you know, reprimanded or uh, had a chance to explain to the stewards and then they um, implemented a penalty which then didn't affect the race result once they knew how that penalty would affect the race result. Today, uh, Gasly did the same offence, although... You could probably argue it was worse in terms of the distance. The onboard I saw, he was a very, very long way behind the next car. Well, not initially, but once the car in front disappeared, there was a gap. Yeah, I'm just trying to be as fair as possible Mm. to the stewards in this this instance. But you can certainly see there's clear inconsistency there because he wasn't given three chances and he wasn't given uh, an opportunity to explain himself. It was just an instant penalty. Um, in a similar way to how we saw, you know, the instant penalty with Leclerc after the race at Japan a couple of weeks ago. So that's that's the first one. Um, the, there was uh, well, Matt, you go first, and I'll gather my thoughts on on the second inconsistency, um, which refers to a post-race protest as well. Oh, 
Yeah, no, there's there's stuff been bubbling in the background. Oh, okay, go, 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 go. Do it, do it, do it. I just real quick want to point out that if we are looking at a regulatory change where we are going to penalize more quickly and more thoroughly that kind of thing, I think that's the explanation you would get from the FIA. Well, we've decided to be more strict with this from now on, and Gasly is just the first victim of it. But you don't, you can't really judge that. Until the next time we see one of the top teams fall foul of it. So if we see a Red Bull or a Mercedes or a Ferrari with the same violation, get the same immediate penalty, then we can conclude that they've changed how they wish to police this. And I think they should police it because I still think about that crash at Magello, which came about because people were leaving these huge gaps. There's a reason they say only 10 car lengths behind the safety car. But we can't make that conclusion yet. That's all I wanted to add. I really haven't heard any good justification for why they have, in the previous example we just used, the Perez at Singapore one, why they were so lenient on that. Uh, like I, I totally agree with what you said. You know, decisions should be made more quickly and thoroughly, etc. But then why why have we waited until <laughs> after we've been excessively lenient to one particular driver? Um, it's not like that was the first ever Formula One race. No. We've had plenty of opportunity for them to, you know, come to a conclusion on how they implement rules. Uh, an arbitrary period late in a season in 2022 seems a little bit odd to suddenly start deciding you're going to do that. Well, I just want to say that I I feel like that is hyperbole, Brad. And um, as a staunch neutral in Formula One, I have given you a chance to air that grievance, but I in no way associate myself with it. So I'd like to just now talk about the second potential okay. inconsistency. Okay. And that relates to, again, we're talking about Sergio Perez. He's just involved just um, by coincidence. Go check out. His, his end plate damage, which he, yeah. um, he self-inflicted, I think. He went for a gap, which wasn't a gap until he made it a gap on Bottas on lap one in the first sector. Damaged his end plate, and he had effectively the exact same damage that Magnussen has had a couple of times yeah. this year. Yeah. And I read just before the show that Haas, and I don't know whether all of these were Magnus, and certainly two of them were, Haas have been meatball flagged, and I hear Alex Twindle coined that term, Um, (laughs) meatball flagged three times in the season. Two of those were definitely for Magnussen. Um, And Haas have, after the race, gone and protested the the result um, for both them and also Alonso, which I think is a bit more tenuous for his mirror falling off, which was clearly accident damage. So the reason this is... um, the reason this is potentially inconsistent is because Perez wasn't meatball flagged and Haas feel aggrieved because they were they should, yeah. instantaneously um, told to come in and change the nose each time it's happened to them. Now, in defense of the stewards, I'd say from my point of view on the sofa, there was around one lap before the piece of end plate actually fell off of Perez's car. So maybe they would have done exactly the same and they just didn't have time. Yes. And that that is interesting. I know a lot of Danish fans do really feel aggrieved because it was uh, Montreal uh, was the first one. There was another one as well, Matt. Um, But yeah, that meatball flag is not being administered uh, consistently. Look, if they built a car as flimsy as Red Bull's wing, that end plate would have fallen off Magnussen's car and we wouldn't be in this situation right now. It's their own fault. Why does no one, why doesn't everyone just build everything out of whatever Alonso's car was clearly built from? (laughs) Thank you very much to my panel, Ellen Ellard, Brad Philpott and Matt Trumpets for staying up super duper late here on a Sunday night. I think we're, we're technically in Monday morning as well for our 
Austin Grand Prix race review. But we are going to move on to our podium. Ah, it was a good race. I enjoyed my afternoon or my evening watching F1 Grand Prix cars going around a fantastic track. I woke up on Sunday morning thinking, why aren't the race cars already going round? Why am I having to wait so long? And then by the time the race cars started at eight o'clock at night, for me, I was already quite sleepy. Why, oh why, will no one in Formula One consider the plight of the poor UK Formula One F1? Do you know what I mean, Matt? Do you know what I mean? Us poor UK fans having to suffer being slightly inconvenienced sometimes. Twice. (laughs) <laughs> in an entire season of 24 races. Oh, tragedy, tragedy. We are tragedy. used to, UK fans, we're used to the flyaways early season and the Australian Grand Prix being early morning. And I've always enjoyed that. It feels like quite an adventure. You get up early before the milkman, uh, before everyone, you get up. And when I had little babies, you get up and you, you feed them. You get credit for getting up with the baby and, and feeding them their milk in the morning. And actually, you're just watching the Grand Prix. But... It's a little space of your own. So UK fans are used to that early Grand Prix. We're not so used to the evening Grand Prix. Whereas you guys in America, basically all your races are in the morning. Yeah, pretty mm. much they're either in the morning or in like the really stupid hours of the morning. Yeah. So, so basically, having one in I the afternoon it. is weird. I get it. F1's catering to American F1 fans now. That's fine. We're a stoic bunch, us UK folk. We'll deal with it. But it is time for some awards. And the first one is a super positive one. Thing of the weekend. It's the thing of the weekend. It could be a driver. It could be an ethereal concept of love or even hope. Ellen, who gets your thing of the weekend oh oh i was too busy trying to write a, a message of abuse and the not not abuse but i was <laughs> I was, I was writing a and a slightly attacking messages in the in the, the chat zoom chat i can see that yeah so <laughs> yeah, you're basically too... <laughs> accusing matt trumpets of uh drinking during very early races which i don't think is that scandalous to be honest i think the courts of law would rule in your favor I just, I, I just got a little bit shook and was, um, yeah. I just, I, I put two and two together, and yeah, so, um, yeah. And you found so four. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? I have a, I have a bad thing. I can my, do you know what? My good thing will be the yeah. round number of Vettel getting to three thousand five hundred laps. In I like the, that leading, but I have also been told in the Slack group that he will finish, and I, th- I haven't had time to check this. And it wasn't a number I had in my them. head. Two hundred and ninety-nine race starts. Oh no! So he'll That's be not going to so, bug you at all. Then, will it? <laughs> no, it's not going to be a problem. But then someone leaps to my defence and said that he might come back and just you know, oh, exactly, he might have a Jensen for one Jensen Button Monaco yeah. type thing, yeah. might he, where he just gets to you substitute. Yeah. So, so if- um, I'm ho- I'm hopeful. But mm. yeah, I'll go for I'll go for Vettel in the the three thousand five hundred laps. Later. If Hulkenberg ends up getting the Haas seat. Who is the go-to reserve driver for everyone, Matt? So it could be Vettel. Vettel yeah. could end up Hulkenberging 2023. Yeah, I would be delighted to see Vettel get a couple of races next season. No, no, just only one. He's... Only one. Only one. Ellen yeah, yeah, can yeah, only not handle... a couple. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, because otherwise no. it would be 301. I'm not messing with you, Ellen. Okay. No, yeah. not at all. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Matt. What's your thing of the weekend? 
Well, you know what my thing of the weekend is going to be. I don't. Really? Okay, fine. Ocon's qualifying. Kevin Magnussen <laughs> running a one stop uh, on in a race where people were doing three stops and more. Yeah, he ran the hard tire to lap 18, then jumped on the mediums and ran them 38 laps and was still <laughs> so fast that he just about managed to beat Vettel out for seventh place in a Haas that has no straight line speed whatsoever. Wait, wait. I'm sorry, that was a thing. So in my mind's eye, Vettel did that maneuver and came out ahead. Did Magnussen finish ahead? He just about did. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, okay. literally, he made a mistake into turn uh, 16 mm. and opened the door for Vettel to get round him. Mm. But he, but it, he held it, it was that close. Wow. My brain, impressive. my brain changed that to Vettel taking that place. No, Vettel did mm. take seventh place. Magnussen finished eighth. Okay. It didn't happen till the last Oh, lap. I see what you're saying. So he held it for, for a bit. Okay. So Kevin yeah. Magnussen gets your thing of the weekend. Brad Philpot. Brad, you are doing things at the moment. Yes. Rebel, I'm doing Rebel things. tours. You and Van Jean recorded like, you say it's not a podcast. It, it seemed very podcasty. It had a title. Well, it's everything. not available on any podcatcher. Okay. Oh, yeah, technicality. Well, it had a title. What's the title, Brad? The title is is full chat, which full for those chat. of you who don't know is yeah. just another way of saying flat out. But flat it's also out. very clever because mm. we're chatting. Yeah, I is. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So it's you it's and Van Van Jean. So you've stolen one of my panelists. We've two. Yes, if you include so you. So Van Jean yeah. does football five aside. I think football on, yeah. a, on a Wednesday night, and he finishes really late. And we decided that would be quite a good time to mm-hmm. have a gin and tonic and chat together oh, okay. about whatever's happening in Formula One that week. Oh, okay. So. Imagine if Mist Apex was way worse, badly produced, had terrible yeah, audio, the audio had the terrible. worst two panellists and weren't yeah. really talking about... You didn't even have Kyle or Ellen. It was rubbish. Yeah, but full chat. We'll put a link in the show notes below. Uh, go and follow Brad because uh, Brad behaves himself on Mist Apex podcast. He does not behave himself on Twitter. So go and follow at Bradley Philpot and catch his YouTube stuff as well. What was your thing of the weekend, Brad? So I've mentioned it already, but... Alonso not only managing to continue back to the pits, but continue in the race and finish in the points in a car that was flying in the air and slammed <laughs> into the barrier. That was the main thing. I was convinced that car would be out. Yeah, the Ferrari of Carlos Sainz was out of the race because of a little tap from Mercedes. <laughs> Alonso's Alpine was chucked into the wall at 180 miles an hour, and he just carried on. And I honestly don't think there is any other driver on the grid that would have bothered even trying. They would have just assumed the car was destroyed at that point. But Alonso has previous for this. At Baku a few years ago, when he was involved in a big crash somewhere near the beginning, he hauled an absolutely broken uh, McLaren around to finish the race and I believe get a a reasonably decent finish. So he's just a a determined little fighter and uh, and he he did it, did a great job. So that, that result. Matt? I just wanted to put it out there for those who have not yet gone for their thing of the week, that a certain team has won their very first constructors championship of this entire regulatory era oh, you think in there's... terms of power units. Right. Okay. So you think I might, being the only person to not have awarded my mistake, uh, my thing of the weekend, might be swayed to give it to Red Bull. Well, I mean, it is their first oh, okay. Constructors' Championship. You are about to be massively disappointed because I'm giving it to Lewis Hamilton with that fantastic performance, nearly taking victory, great pace, um, absolutely, you know, on top of 
uh, his teammate didn't smash into Carlos Sainz and had a fantastic performance and gave Lewis Hamilton fans, obviously I'm neutral, uh, just a little bit of hope. But it was it was good. It was a good performance on a track where you know that he's going to deliver. I don't think it's a coincidence that Lewis Hamilton has always looked magnificent at the Austin Grand Prix and he also looked fantastic at it this weekend in what was arguably the third best car and nearly won ended up finishing second. But here's the bit where we get to be all negative. Here's where we get to be armchair pundits judging people at the top of the pinnacle of motorsport. It's the Missed Apex Award. Oh, no, you missed the Apex. (laughs) All right, then. Who wants to be negative first? Brad, who missed the Apex for you? Okay, um, I am saying this as... uh, a licensed FIA official, uh, because <laughs> really? I, I, yeah, I've, I've oh. got a little car. Oh, okay. Because I'm a, an A grade race license holder. That oh. that's effectively uh, apparently an official because oh, you can okay. you can grant people their race licenses. If I sit next to someone in a race car, I can I can approve them. You can for, grant Magic Motorsport wishes. You know, at an approved race school, etc., oh, okay. etc. Anyway, that's the caveat. Uh, so that's that's the um, the preface because I'm going to give it to the FIA for again not coming to a cost cap conclusion and um and leaving another race weekend without having just given a penalty to the people they say have broken their rules um it shouldn't be as hard as they're making it and i'm not a massive fan of the the continued negotiations we seem to be subjected to mm. matt well now i'm going to give it to brad cuz i'd almost <laughs> forgotten about that i was so excited about the actual race yeah exactly why have you dragged us back into the into the <laughs> dirt brad no i like i i understand the frustration and and we see it too um, i i think it's reasonable to say that despite their best efforts it, it seems like there's still a professionalism gap when it comes to the consistency transparency of all of these sorts of decisions Fair and enough. it would be, and and we are all hoping that it will improve under the new management. Well, there is news breaking. I won't get into this, but we believe that there is going to be a change in the race control, and that the 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 suspension of the rotating race control person is going to be permanent. But I think we can get into that into a new show. But Matt, who missed the apex for you? Well, I whoever designed the Red Bull wheel guns, oh, because I think Aston copied them. Okay, so <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with like weirdly the 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 pit stops there. Like I don't know what's going on with them, but it was an unusual display of rare incompetence from both of those pit crews. And I don't even want to say incompetence because I don't think it was the crew. It, it looks equipment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it looks so. So whoever had the clever idea to save that thousandth of a second, yeah. Well, guess what? You just paid for it, Ellen. Your missed apex award. Mm. I feel like I'm. I think I think I know what it's going to be, and I am going to empathise with it a hundred percent. Ellen Ellard, who missed the apex for you? Um, before I do it, can I say that all this mention of um, Alonso 
and the fact he got his car all the way round <laughs> as just and everyone in the the Slack group is saying Magic Alonso, Magic Alonso. <laughs> it's just like absolutely spam me off into a I don't do you know the like really three D videos? Oh yes, they're very good. And very they're good. very they're very, very funny. And yeah. I think if you are an Alonso fan <laughs> who hasn't gone and seen them, especially <laughs> the uh, Emiliano Romagna one, like d- go and watch it because it is pretty much what he did today, yeah. he does in these these animations. Yeah, Alonso- Wins every, wins every race somehow every race in the, like, yeah. the most chaotic he, he changes ways. his like, own tires he fixes yeah, the his Emiliano own cars going, one, and, he, he, there's a hole in in the floor but it's him just putting his foot through yeah. it and running and and, that's and, 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 and uh, Hamilton is always a sneaky cheat and he's always cheating throughout every race um, what's the channel called uh, it's called Really 3D. Really 3D I watch them on TikTok I'm sure <laughs> they're on YouTube no, as well great, but yeah. it's it is just it's it's great fun. And I probably show my, my age and my humor levels with it because <laughs> I absolutely love them. Um, and I just had to give that a shout because all Fair of enough. I'm glad. Me- Who missed the but apex for you though, Ellen? Christian Horner pieing his wife off when she went up to give him a kiss to congratulate and he gave her the cheek and then told her to go. Oh, well, I don't know if he told her to go away, but <sighs> positioned her away and moved off. And Brad has put pieing in the, uh, in our uh, little Zoom chat, yeah. because earlier when I did put that in our in our main group chat, he was like, "What is going on?" Basically, it's given yeah. the culture order. It's sort of, I we'd call them, yeah, pie she, them off. He, like, he pied her off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so like gave, gave her gave her the cold shoulder. And from my point of view, growing up as a young woman in England. Christian, get back in your lane, please, because no one gives a cold shoulder to a Spice Girl. Like, remember, remember your position, remember who you are. Jerry Hallowell was an international superstar before anyone knew who Christian Horner was. Absolutely. If she's giving you a hug and telling you congratulations, then you absorb that hug and you take it. But he definitely did. He looked like he was like, oh, no, I'm on camera. My wife's hugging me and I have to. And then he just like, like palmed her aside. If that was my wife on telly, I would get absolutely murdered, Matt. It's like your kids at that age when you take them to school. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, but, no, 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 no. But it's Jerry Halliwell. <laughs> you oh, want to be proud of that one. Absolutely. Exactly. He should be parading around. Put her on the bus parades. Say, leave, leave one of the drivers behind. Cheesy's going out in the parades. No, like. I'm joking, but genuinely that that did make me laugh, especially at the end of a quite a chaotic <laughs> Grand Prix that did make me smile. And at the end of a quite chaotic Grand Prix race review here in the UK, we are at half past one in the morning. So we are going to relieve our UK panel of duty, but do go and follow Ellen Ellard on Instagram and Twitter. The show notes will provide a link. Also, go and follow Brad. Uh, all the stuff he's up to. Go and follow him on Twitter. But be warned, a lot of it is a little more spicy than his polite missed apex visage. Go and follow Matt Trumpets on Twitter and also on Facebook, where you literally do post pictures of you and your trumpet. So if that's Indeed. what you want to see, go and do that. If you would like to check out some romantic literature, Matt's wife Amanda at a Weaver writes on Twitter also writes uh, you know a lot of uh, of that kind of book, and you can buy that either for yourself at, or as a present. And Matt, would you do me the favour of putting that link right at the top of our show notes this week? I would be delighted to. You can also follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Be a patron by going to patreon.com 
forward slash missed apex. There's a race at Mexico next week. We are going to again thrust into the night on a Monday morning to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.